Okay, so today I'm in the Cotswolds with Bob Cooper, a face uh, well known to at the races of viewers, and further and further afield than that. Actually, I should say Sky I've, Sports Racing. Is that what it is now? Sky yeah. Sports Racing. Sorry. Yeah, you're about five years out of date there, Simon. <laughs> well, something I was told I didn't realise. I I shouldn't have even introduced you as Bob because I'm told you don't like Bob. I've got used to it actually because originally. My first ever job, which was with Mecca Bookmakers, maybe that'll come into your conversation eventually. The chap who employed me there, a chap called Bill, Bill Hogwood, he was a great man. But he said, are you a Bob or a Robert? And I said, well, so, you know, sounding rather like a, the king. I said, well, Robert, actually. And he said, OK, Bob. So that was the end of that one. But I've got used to it and it's fine. And even my children and my wife call me, call me that. So I've got used to it and the dog. So if I've got my sums right, 41st year as a broadcaster? Yeah, I had my race last year at uh, Sedgefield. I mean, I announced it myself. I was a sort of a glutton for punishment because on Sky Sports Racing, at the end of 2021, we were asked what we were looking forward to in the following year. And rather than saying, I'm looking forward to the Gold Cup or something boring like that, I thought, I'm looking forward to 40 years in broadcasting. And so they made a bit of a fuss of it on the Get In programme on Friday night. And um, I then got awarded by, at Sedgefield um, a race with my the Robert Cooper 41 years in, 40 years in racing, which was won by, well, it was a forerunner race, won by a horse of um, Jed O'Keefe's called, I can't remember what it's called now, something Fontana. It only won the other day, but anyway. It was fun. It was very nice. So what's, what's the secret of staying in such a trip? I don't really, I think totally not being aware, but you're staying the trip, quite honestly. I mean, it's been, it's been a trip of, of several segments, you know, because I haven't done the same. I've worked in racing, but not, not actually doing the same job. Well, I have been doing the same job in a way, but I think just sort of just keeping going. It's, you know, it's, a, it's quite a nice way to survive, really. And Survive is the word. 2005 Broadcaster of the Year, HWPA Awards. Was it that long ago? <laughs> 2005. Well, I mean, you know, you can only need to win these things once. Don't you? That was a that was a great great moment, and that was completely unwarranted, really. Um, but you know, very nicely received, and and I really I've got the decanter next door as a memento. Now, one of your colleagues, and also a previous winner of Broadcaster, Luke Harvey, I was speaking to him the other day. Yeah, but I won it well before he did. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, good for Luke. But he, I, said to, I said after the sad demise of uh, Barney Curley and Big Mac, I said that Luke was the last man standing from that still popular and famous clip. But no, he said, if you look again, you'll see Bob Cooper still in the background thoroughly enjoying himself. Because who what was do you that? Oh, because Barney Curley and McCrick, they're, yeah. they're both chatting to each other up upstairs now funny that was at Folkestone and funny enough I was I was there not reporting or anything and not just for a jolly although I like Folkestone um, I was there to do we were doing sort of a series on a day in the life of a race course and I'd done a bit of research on Folkestone and I knew Barney Curley was going to be there because I'd seen the, the declared runners and I thought, well, I'll ask him about something because I used to get on I mean I used to get on quite well with him um, you know if you handle him Right, he was he was quite funny. He could be a bit abrasive sometimes, but he was a good man. And I was just, I heard this racket by the weighing room. I was just sidling along, wanting to um, try and get hold of him. I knew that my chance had gone because he was absolutely, you know, there was smoke coming out of his ears. 
that was amusing. And there's uh, quite a few favourite clips, actually. Um, that's a man, Tomo, is another favourite one, isn't it? It's a man, actually, Tomo. That, again, that only emerged, uh, what, two or three years ago? Was it? Yeah, no, 2019 or something, I think it was. And I was working upstairs, um, just, and someone sent me a text and with a sort of a little video attached. And I thought, where did they dig that up from? Because I remember it actually happening. That was a long time ago. I don't know when the actual thing took place. But that became, that was amazing. It got an Alan Partridge nomination. And it was actually on the Graham Norton show with, with uh, Steve Coogan, Alan Partridge, actually as a guest there. I mean, that's, that's fame, isn't it? Well, there was another bit of fame, which is probably, it was a little bit more controversial, uh, where you were interviewing Ryan Moore, who wasn't exactly being um, all that talkative. And Leona Mayer uh, did a tweet on your defence oh, about really? him being a bit rude, and that was a bit. Um, but it didn't seem to upset you at all. No, no, I I don't think it's really worth tweeting about. But you know, it's, everyone can. It's up to anyone to do whatever they want. No, I mean you know, with Ryan Moore, you place not to get him is some. I think maybe it was somewhere like not Wolverhampton, but somewhere sort of low key. And quite honestly, he just you know you can read his mind. I don't want to talk about that. Um, I think if you've got something, you know, sensible to, to ask him, he will probably do it. And I get on really well with him, actually. I mean, you know, he, I say hello to him, but he's just, you know, he's not a great interviewee, quite honestly, but he's a very good jockey. Has your job become easier in recent years? Because you do, you know, part of your job is to collar jockeys as they're coming back just after a race. I mean, yeah. are they are they more, you know, sort of keen to talk I these think, days? I think, I think... On one hand, I think they're, this, yes, they definitely are. And I think with, you know, racing television, with racing TV and at the races and Sky Sports Racing and ITV and everything like that, there's so much televised and they do so many interviews now. But I think that they probably have got used to it. And I think with the younger generation coming through, I mean, someone like Billy Lockman, the, you know, the, the young sensation, He's fantastic to talk to. He's just very, very natural. And I think there's more of that. I think as time goes on, I think there'll be more, you know, more camera friendly. I mean, I, can you imagine in the old days talking to Lester Piggott or someone like that? Pat Edry was once at Leicester. And I thought, because he was, used to be quite tricky when he was a jockey. He was, he was really nice when he was a trainer. I used to chat to him a lot. And I remember writing a note uh, and to, to, ha for, to, to be handed to him in the weighing room at, um, at Leicester saying, could you come out and have a chat about this? And I sort of, you know, was really slimy and asked him nice questions. And apparently he just sort of looked at it and just threw it in the bin, you know, wouldn't do it. But he was fine. Well, Bob, so sometimes you talked about jockeys there. Sometimes you actually employ them well, part of, part of, as part of the old Stoics Racing Club. The old Stoic Racing Club. Well, yeah, we, are, we obviously got to have a jockey because otherwise our horses can't run. But it's a, something I never thought I'd ever get involved in, racehorse ownership, because it's a, it's a route to the poorhouse, really, isn't it? Unless you're lucky. But it's fun having a winner at any, at any sort of level. And we've done, we've done pretty well, actually. It's run by a chap called Henry Kimball. And we all went to the same school. Posh school, as you were saying beforehand. Stowe School uh, it was for boys and girls nowadays. But Richard Branson was there. Several racing personalities. I probably miss out a few. Roger Charlton, Michael Bell, um, James Fanshawe, um, 
you know, many of them. And our trainers we've used at the moment, Alex, Alex Hales and um, Johnny Portman. So Ed what, Bethel does very well. So what, what, is your, what is your background? What do you mean, Mike? Well, for, you know, you went, to, you went to that school. So were yeah. your, what were your parents, what was their business? <laughs> my parents, well, my mother was, you know, her, her business was producing children, I suppose. But my father worked in, he worked for, he, I mean, he was sort of a, um, he worked for an oil company, for Castrol Oil, just as sort of a rep, really. I mean, in those days, I mean, talk about wasting, you know, wa the, the money, it's not cheap going to these schools. And even in those, in, in when I was there, it was probably quite expensive relatively. And uh, I just wasted my parents' money. But anyway, um, you know, education is a matter of opinion. People always get criticised for going to posh schools, but it's not you who decides to go or not. It's your parents who send you there. My father uh, went to the same school almost when it was founded. He was there with David Niven, one of the one of the founder members, I think, because it started 100 years ago uh, this year. And, um, you know, I went, like in the old days, when you sort of father f followed son. And I think probably our academic levels were probably pretty similar. In other words, not very good. Did your, did your love of racing come from the, being at the school? Was no, no, not really. No, I, I, mean, I, was, I, I loved racing before, you know, when I was about six or seven years old, um, because my father was always very keen. Uh, he was brought up, born and brought up in Ireland, and he used to go, and he was at university in, in Dublin. And he used to go, you know, tales of going to the Curragh and Leopardstown and things like that. And we used to watch racing on the, on the telly. Uh, go to point to points. That was a, that was sort of in, that got me going on betting. It was a very good way of learning, you know, um, how to bet, which is a very important quality to have in life, I think. And um, you know, it, so it started with the, not not far beyond the cradle. Okay, so you, so you were interested in betting as well as racing. You weren't oh. a school bookie. Yeah, my, I think my dad was the bookie. Um, no, I think racing without betting would be, I, I, would, I would find it quite dull, actually. That's why all this hoo-ha at the moment about affordability is utterly, you know, it's absolutely baffling, isn't it? Anyway, it's yeah, another matter. It is. Um, hopefully, yeah. Um, so I was told, Little Bird told me that you worked, in, did you work in the city? Was that your first job from leaving school? My first job leaving school, I did a Christmas job working at Harrods in the adult games department, which doesn't sound a bit raunchy, but in fact it was selling packs of cards and chess sets and things like that. But that was really good fun. My first real job, I worked, my, my next brother up, there are five of us, he was a stockbroker. And um, he got me an interview with a firm of jobbers uh, called Ackroyd and Smithers, who don't exist anymore. And they were sort of the jobbers were the, were the bookmakers and the brokers were the punters sort of thing. That's how it worked in those days. And I got a job um, as, a, as a trainee jobber. And the chap who interviewed me died very recently, actually, Tim Nixon, who's had some very good horses with Henry Daly. And uh, I got the job by, he had a colour TV set on in his office and the colour was all skew with. And I altered it and I got the job by being very good at horizontal hold <laughs> now i'm told that um there was quite a famous bookmaker in the city otherwise known as trainer jack ramsden 
And well, he, he wouldn't like to be known. Well. He wouldn't like to be known as a bookmaker. But he would take. He would take. There was a lot of betting. That's that's one of the things about the stock exchange, I really liked because there was there was a bookies across the road, Heathorns. You could go along there, in your lunch hour, and uh, have a bet. So there was and betting was rife everywhere. You know, spread betting, test match runs. But well, it is betting really in at the stock market. Absolutely. There's no there's no affordability checks on that, is there? Anyway, it's another matter again, but um, yeah, and there used to be, you know, used to be Premier League points of your football team, everything. Uh, and the Lincoln was coming up, first leg of the um, spring double, and there was a horse I fancied. It was called Dowdstown Charlie. I remember it really well. And someone had, there were loads of tips there. Said, you know, back it each way. And I think it was about sixteen twenty to one. And I was going to back it. And I said, and someone said to me, oh, I know someone who will lay you a bet if you wanted to back it. Jack will lay it, Jack Ramsden. And he was quite a feared figure in the very sort of sharp, snappy dresser, very astute as we know him to be. And uh, he'll lay you a bet. So I was standing in my pitch in the stock exchange and suddenly its shadow emerged and it was Jack Ramsden. And I'd never met him before. I, he said, I hear you want to have a bet. And I said, yeah, yes, please like a sort of little schoolboy, and he, uh, Dowdstown Charlie, said, I'll give you 20 to 1. And I said, I'll have, I think it was £2.50 each way, I said. He just sort of looked me up and down, turned on his heels, didn't say anything, and just walked away. I felt, you know, that small. I was so humiliated. I thought it was quite a big bet for me in those days, but, you know, not uh, for Jack. And what happened with Dowdstown Charlie? Still running. Was a full Jack then? Yeah, I know, I know. Little acorns and all that stuff. So the, the fact that you've been uh, a broadcaster for 41 years suggests to me that you didn't follow a career in the city for all that long. So uh, how did that go? Well, it didn't go very well, actually. I mean, I, was, I, I quite enjoyed it, but I don't think I'd have been very good at it, really. Um, and I got made redundant. So obviously I wasn't very good at it. And when I started looking for a job, so I got a job interviewing accountants for an employment agency. I knew nothing about accountancy. That was a bit of a, a rum job, really, because if you got, you got very badly paid. I've got, I'm a master of getting jobs with bad pay, and you only got paid on commission. If you got someone a job, you got, a bit, you got quite a good little sort of payout, but they had to stay in their job for three months. And once I had, you know, I got four people a job and they all left, so I had to give all my money back. So I thought that's no good. And when a friend of mine had a cousin who worked in a bookshop, who ran a bookshop, small bookshop in Covent Garden, art and architecture and fine, you know, fine art and stuff like that. And he was looking for an assistant to doing packing, ordering, delivering. It was really good fun. And I did that for ooh, four or five years. Um, that was good. It was in Covent Garden before they before it became ultra trendy. The fruit market had closed down. It was sort of um, it was the punk days. Um, there used to be a club called the Roxy yeah. in Neil Street, and that was just round the corner. Neil's Yard had just started. So were you a regular at the Roxy? Oh, absolutely. Really? I think I, no, no. no. I, oh. But I think I think I think the police played there. I think you yeah, know all the top bands. All the top Roxy, bands yeah. played there before my time as well. But yeah. yeah. They were there. So, and then... Well, I'll tell you what happened then. Oh, good. Because um, I was sitting at my desk, eating an orange, 
And a friend of mine rang, he used to ring a lot, um, my friend Nick, who's no, sadly no longer with us, but he'd seen an advert. He was always sort of, he was very good at sort of, you know, thinking, in sort of rather fatherly help, you know. And he saw a, uh, an advert in the, in the sporting life. It's a broadcaster, sports writer. I didn't say who it was for. He said, you ought to give it a go. And I thought, well, I've, you know, I haven't done either of those things. Although I quite like the thought of, you know, I used to have a reel-to-reel -reel tape recorder at home and I used to record my own programmes. I used to like interviewing people and things like that. So it was always sort of in the blood. Anyway, I, I think I was the only person to, to, to um, answer the ad and I got the job and that was Mecca Bookmakers. So that was the first step into, with racing. And so what, what, what was the job then actually? The job was, well, at that time, all the information to betting shops was, supplies, was supplied by Exchange Telegraph, Extel. Used to get that sort of disembodied voice, going behind stalls, you know, all, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And those exciting finishes when they're all grouping Making up. rapid late headway. Rapid, I used to love rapid late headway. But everybody used to love rapid late headway. But I think headway. I would like to say, and other firms may disagree, but, but Mecca were the first company dis to dispose of, of um, the Extel commentary and do our own. We used to re-speak commentaries. We used to do, you know, sports programs. We could do it. It was like a sort of a child's sort of playroom really you could do exactly what you wanted there were three of us I had two assistants and we used to do we we tell we we broadcast greyhound racing from Cambridge Cambridge dogs that was our own exclusive um, and we did loads of things and that sort of led on to SIS actually because the two people who employed me there Bill Hogwood and Bobby Green were the, almost the the, the the fathers of um, of SIS so I was in the right place at the right time, and I got a job at SIS. And at that time, were you previously with Mecca? You got an interest in tennis and cricket. Was that were you covering that as well? Yeah, no, I loved that. Um, it was very good. We had I, I employed. I I say it sounds rather rather sort of you know boastful. Um, a cricket reporter, uh, Terry Terry Blake, who became I think he used to do quite well in the cricket world, but he used to go and report from the there was a don't know if they had a World Cup then, but there was something in England. I think there was a World Cup in England, a one-day thing like an ODI. And uh, we got press tickets at the Oval and places like that. We used to get press passes to Wimbledon, just applied for them. So we'd, we'd, we had little sports bulletins during the afternoon. We used to drive the betting shop managers completely balmy. You know what they're like. Have you ever been a betting shop, in, worked in a betting no, shop? No, I haven't, no. I've spent a lot of time in betting shops in my misspent youth. But you know what betting shop managers can be like there's quite sort of not that keen on change and when this sort of I mean my 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 audition tape sounded like Edward VIII abdicating it sounded very sort of you know stiff and pompous I sort of modeled myself on Julian Wilson I think in those days because that was all you that's all you you could it was either him or Jim Lindy and I went for the the first option so um but we used to you know we it it, it caught on so what was the working environment like? Was it like a studio or were you in, a, in an office? We had a little studio in the, in the text room. It's the early days of, you know, teletext. Do you remember the Oracle and yeah. teletext and all that sort of thing? And again, it was a completely new idea, actually not, not taking the price, prices from Extel, but actually getting prices from the, the racetrack. In the early days of mobile phones, they weighed as much as the car battery. 
and I was sent off to Lingfield to send back prices to um, our text room and then they put them on on uh, teletext and um, that was that was real cutting-edge stuff in those days. So were, were you a race goer before that? Oh god yes yeah. As well, you mentioned the points of points but you've even... I used, to, I used to go racing with used to be three or four of us and we used to go uh, every weekend and you know frequently more whenever possible really. And then you mentioned earlier Bill Hogwood, and I don't know if you mentioned Bill Green, but Bill Green I've got here, set up SIS. Bobby Green. Yep, oh, sorry, Bobby Green. Yeah. Um, so were you the ma you were the man on the spot, basically. So were you asked to be involved, or did you sort Yeah, of... no, I was, I was asked to be involved. We did, a, we did a, I've got the tape somewhere, it's fantastic. We put sound effects of a, it's like sort of ticket, ticker tape thing. We used a sewing machine, I think, to sort of wound the handle. And Richard Pittman was involved in that. And we did this sort of video, sort of promoting the whole thing. Um, and I think I did a commentary from Sandown. I had about 100 goes at it to get it right. But anyway, it's it eventually May, I forget which year SIS started now, May 87, 86, something like that. And um, what's the time scale where Cornelius Lysick gave you sort of a leg up into Radio 5? Oh, that was great because first of all, when I was working at SIS, I there was race call. You know, when you used to be able to ring. Yeah, remember that. Yeah. Oh eight nine eight. Yeah, and Cornelius was very much part of that, and I think I might either wrote. I'd never met him before. I think I wrote to him. I knew of him as this sort of you know, much revered figure of race in racing, Cornelius, and I wrote to him, and he I came along for a trial afternoon. Uh, at um, it was used to be Smithfield Market, and people like Rory Gilbert and Peter Bromley and all sorts of people turned up there. Uh, but it was it was great fun. And then uh, Five Live started. So I forgot your initial question. In 1990, although it was just Radio Five in those days, an extra channel, and there was a racing bulletin. We used to get hours of you know around about sort of used to come to us about half twenty. 25 past 7 and we were still talking about 25 to 8. Now you know, it doesn't get anything does it? So what is that, did that run parallel with what you were doing at SIS? Yeah it did. I've been told to ask you about putting money in the meter at the BBC. What in the money in the, or the parking meter? I don't know I was just told to ask you about the money in the meter. Does that ring a bell with you? No. No. Any, any other stories in the BBC? I remember no, I mean it was it was it was it was quite daunting, in fact, because it was always you were always a race against time, and I had no idea how to use the computer. I used to write it out in longhand, but once you were sort of logged on, because I didn't dare ask anyone, because there were all these sort of people I'd only listened to on the radio. You know, John Inverdale was there in the morning bulletin and things like that, and there were loads of people. Um, uh, Jeff Stelling used to, was on the morning shift. It was great, and. Um, but I don't. But I only remember the park, the, the meter. You used to park outside, and you, had, you used to have to make sure you were, you were out by the time that either the meter started. Otherwise, you, you weren't so little. You were down on the day. <laughs> so, uh, how different was it working for the BBC was for the SIS? I imagine it was a bit stuffy. Yeah, I mean, I was only there in the mornings. I was filling in when you know Cornelius. It was on days Cornelius couldn't do, and um, I used to do. I used to do three or four days a month. Um, the morning bulletin it was great and then Luke carried on doing that afterwards Luke Harvey did it probably far better but 
it's funny how attitudes have changed because you know whereas racing was quite sort of big big business in those days on the radio now it's you know it's been sort of pushed pushed out the back door now you were first seen your voice was well known but you were first seen on the racing channel is that correct yes i first seen actually on sis actually because on sis we used to have a lunchtime program uh which ian carnaby uh used to present half the week and richard Pittman used to do the other half and there was one time and usually you know they were always there but there was one time it was on when the grand national weights came out so maybe they were both there there was no one and i was i was sort of volunteered I, and I, in other words, sort of pushed into the studio, had my smart double-breasted suit on and everything like that. Um, and I did that with a script you had to sort of follow. that You could do very little ad-libbing. I did a little bit. That was quite daunting. But that was my first taste of sitting in front of a camera. And when that finished, did you think, oh, this is another avenue I could pursue, or did that just happen? Well, I might have thought that, but no one else did, because nothing happened for years afterwards. Um, no. I might have been given a might be given a bum steer with the uh, with the money in the meter, but can you tell me about the Mickey Fitz going to the opera? I'm intrigued by the by the money in the meter. You're gonna to have to ask one of your old colleagues about that. I will have to do that. Yeah, um, Mick Fitzgerald and the opera. Yes, because I was I've only been married twice. I say only, but my first wife Fiona uh, was and is a very good writer on on classical music. And she had put forward the idea that to, to try and find people from outside music who were interested in, you know, either opera or, you know, something like that. Anyway, somewhere, I think it might have been Cornelius who told me, actually, that, that uh, Mick Fitzgerald was an opera buff. I've seen no evidence of it since. But anyway, he accepted. He was riding at Worcester, I think, in the afternoon. I'd never, I'd never, I'd never met him. No, I'd never met him. Might have met him once. Anyway, he turned up at Covent Garden. This is, you know, real proper stuff, Madam Butterfly. And uh, he turned up in his bow tie and everything, uh, spot on time. And we had a very good evening. Um, my wife, Fiona, <laughs> Mick, and myself. And we had a very good meal afterwards. And it was a very good, very good evening. I haven't. Rem I ought to remind him about that. So you've not had a second. You've not had a second outing. You wouldn't want to go out twice with him. All right, Bob, so I mentioned slightly erroneously earlier that you were first seen on the Racing Channel, but you were first regularly seen on the Racing Channel. So how did that come about? It's sort of by accident in a way. I mean, it had already started and I hadn't really done that much of it. I was still working for SIS. It all took place in the same, same building in, in Corsham Street, N1. 6DR. Funny how you remember postcodes. But uh, George Irvin, who was um, formerly with Corals, but he was very much a, you know, the leading light in in SIS and later with the Racing Channel, and um, he was in charge of the Racing Channel, which suddenly became, you know, we had all the we had all the wherewithals like SIS had. We had, you know, feeds from all the all the racecourses in this country and in Ireland as well. Actually, I think. Um, so they thought, well, why not, why not the home market? No one had really thought of that. So the racing channel started, and I used to do little bits and pieces in the, we used to have a racing news 
programme in the morning, Racing Snooze, as it used to be called. And I used to do a bit of that. And it was really, all, just thinking about it now, almost thanks to uh, Cornelius and the Five Live Racing Bulletin, Radio 5 Racing Bulletin, because um, we were doing a bit of reporting and I sort of volunteered. I said, well, I, I wouldn't mind having a go at that. And I remember my first day reporting was at Leicester, just before Charmitt's Derby, William Haggis, back in the day. And I just thought I'd try and get many interviews as possible. You got used to, you couldn't roam around in those days. They had to come to you. And I remember getting William Haggis, William Jarvis, and any trainer who had anything, um, anything running. More trainers than jockeys in those days. Um, and then they thought, they actually thought, oh, he did quite a good job. So I got more. And so the rest, you know, followed. Is live TV as terrifying as most of us mm -hmm. would imagine it is? No, I think it's fine. I think it's, this is, when it's, things are recorded, like this, <laughs> this drone that I'm talking to you about, <laughs> I prefer it. I, I quite like it when it's live and, and, and things sort of go wrong because you're suddenly flying by the seat of those pants. And um, I think that I quite like that. I think it's quite fun. And there's quite a bit of... You've got a practical joker with Luke Harvey working with you a lot as mm. well. There's, he's told me that there's a, a few practical jokes played between you all, false information from the producer going in your ear sometimes where you've asked Absolutely, to... you can be put away. I can't think of any, any specific example, but there are certainly... Um, Luke would do anything to, to, um, to put you away. But in a very nice... I mean, he comes... He is a horrible little man, but he comes, he comes across... He's not so bad in real life. He's always he's he's a real point scorer, uh, but anyway. Now, when you're doing the, the live stuff, obviously, you've got to know who people are. That's something obviously you've got from experience over the years, so you know that this jockey coming out is such and such. Oh, I've made a mistake now and again. Have you? Go you going to mention one or not? No, you can tell me. I didn't know you had. You can you can tell us. Is it well, well, I can't remember the name of Brian Anderson's wife. I think it's Claire, um, and I I'd met her before. And it was, uh, I was working at Newcastle and it was, there was a, quite a big race the next day. I think it was Fighting Fifth Hurdle Day. Anyway, I sidled up to him in the paddock, to Brian, with this, standing next to this woman who I thought was his wife. And I said to him, you know, did you have a good night last night? Sort of addressing them both, saying, you know, did you sleep well and all that? And then he said, you know, I don't, I think you're making a mistake. This woman is one, this is my owner, not my wife. So that was a bit of a, bit of a mistake but we're always you know you're going to make mistakes aren't you do you do is uh, do you need to do much homework do you sort of go through the cards so that you know everything about the form and i could get my sheets from newcastle and you'd be you'd be impressed um i'd like to go through i think as time goes on and i have more time because i do i'm not busy as i was i'm busy enough i tend to i think you can only not mess around, but you can only have a bit of uh, a laugh if you actually know the background. And I go into pretty big detail um, into the into the form. I do it sort of selfishly because I quite like to do a play spot. I have a, and sometimes you know you find a horse that's worth worth backing. So it's quite you know it's quite productive in a way. And does it does it retain, or do you have to uh, look to your notes during the evening? I think well, some people. And I don't think it's a good idea. Are determined to use all the information from their notes. I think I'd use about. I'd try and use about sort of. Well, 
you know, five percent or something. You do, it's just a it's just a jog, like you know some piffling thing like a horse has won five times at the you know a course specialist that might have won their uh, Brocktune Red the horse at uh, at Newcastle who's won six times over the over the mile there. You sort of remember things. I remember that because he's one of my favourites, but you know other horses you don't remember. But it's quite they're quite useful facts to have at your in your notes. Yeah. Now a lot of people probably won't know this, but I had the pleasure of working with you at Point to Point's live streaming last year. Well, unless you were one of the three people watching, no, they wouldn't. There was more than that. So was, but one particular meeting we were at, I think there was a three-horse race, three matches. Oh, in the, in the whole day. Yeah, and you managed to talk pretty much non-stop all the way through. Are you completely unflappable? I wouldn't say unflappable. If I... It all depends the circumstances. With the with the streaming that we did, um, it was so it was just such fun to do. And it's, it's it's a pity it hasn't happened this year. But it was it was really good fun. And if you have a good team behind you, because Rita, who you know well, uh, used to um, Rita Hurd used to bring people on. Used to write on a whiteboard. So and so is coming. You have no idea who they were, but it's like meeting. You know, it's quite nice meeting strangers if they're friendly and you talk to them. Um, it's quite, it's great fun. I'm also told that you, I'm hoping this You're is You're told right. a lot, aren't I'm hoping you? that I've been asking around, Bob, but, and most of it's not on Google, I've had to ask people. So you once stood in, you jumped into the breach commentating at oh, Windsor. Yes. No, Leicester. Oh. And of all people not to turn up, Tomo didn't turn up. You'd have thought he would, someone said he'd gone shopping instead, which I can't believe. He was, I thought he wouldn't be a spender, he'd be a gatherer. Anyway, he didn't turn up. He, I think he turned up halfway through the afternoon. And uh, as I'd done a bit of, I'd done a bit of commentating on the, from the screen at SIS, and I quite enjoyed doing that, actually. And I was frog-marched. Well, not really. I was invited up to the commentary box, and I did, a, I think, first two races, novice hurdles. Um, and you have a screen there and everything. And I had, I had a spotter. Um, I forget who it was now. It was it was it was quite it was quite fun. I did do one or two commentary days actually, but um, you know, was it, was it ever something on your radar that you fancied doing full time? Um, fun enough, when I was a, a six-year-old at home, it was what I wanted to do. I mean, you know, one always thought you know Peter O'Sullivan was the not only the voice but was sort of a real hero, and he was a fan. And one used to sort of in my little squeaky squeaky voice used to imitate him when I was having my little sort of made-up races on the Totopoli board. Um, but you know, other things distracted me, and I don't really. I think, I think I could commentate, but I think that you've got to be judged by if you could do a eighteen runner six furlong handicap with them coming out of the sun. That would really make me flappable, and I wouldn't like to do that. And I, I admire the people who do. I think commentaries, commentary these days is so. You know, if you you turn back the clock in the old days when when SIS started when when the racing channel started, they used to have they were ordered to stop commentating with half a furlong to go, and going for the line it was they used to say, and then there was silence in the last half furlong, so the whole the whole landscape has changed a lot for the better. I think the commentary standard of commentary nowadays is fantastic, and also it's a soundtrack to to historic races these days, isn't it? You 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 what you remember a race and you remember the commentary. You do, don't you? That's very true. Yeah. Um, so 
Now, no offence meant at all, to the, not to you, to any of the tracks where you work, but you are quite often dispatched to, let's say, the less... Wolverhampton? ones. Yes. Is that... Do you mind? Would you rather not be going to... Not at all. No, uh, absolutely not. No, I, I really enjoy it. In fact, I would... I was talking to someone the other day saying we were both agreeing but Wolverhampton was one of our favourite courses. I like Wolverhampton. I mean, there aren't many... I'm not going to start slagging off courses because I think, you know, a race course is a... They need to be preserved. I really enjoy them. But I'd rather... I would honestly, hand on heart, rather work at Wolverhampton than at one of the busier meetings because you can get out of the car park. The people are friendly. People are less tense. I did a day reporting at Ascot. Someone must have been, there must have been, there must have been COVID plus because I was asked to do that a couple of years ago, an afternoon, no, a short time ago, a year, less than a year ago. And I didn't, I mean, I enjoyed it, but it was, it was just sort of, it was sort of more serious, yet it's only racing, isn't it? No, you can't get to see Mrs. Cooper much, the amount of work that you do. Oh, I see. I, ha I see. I see more than enough of her, <laughs> and she sees more than enough of me. So, how many how many miles do you put on the clock every year? Not as many. I mean, I work. You know, like um, the month just gone, I've worked seven or eight days on the track. I mean, a few trips to Newcastle when I do have an overnight. I stay away, but I'm often working here behind here doing stuff for the At the Races website doing. Um, I think a column we have called the pools panel doing place pots and other sort of tote uh, bets so I can do that from home so she sees more than enough of me okay Bob it, it's quite surprising actually because whenever I turn the TV on you always seem to be on there so maybe I just only tune in when you're on it must be a recording <laughs> um, so when you're not working and you know putting the miles in and writing and stuff what, what's your, what do you do it's a very good point, really. I mean, I do, I just quite like, I, I mean, I never, I'm never bored. I quite like, I've got, you know, I'm very keen on music. I go to see films and things, go to concerts now and again. I've got my, my vinyl connection behind here, which I'm very proud of. Stick it on the old turntable, um, which I, do, you know, do quite a lot. I find a day goes very quickly. The gardening, I'm a very good, I'm a very capable mower. My Mrs. Cooper is a, is a brilliant gardener. She teaches art. I've got to give her a good mention, actually, haven't I? But she's, a very, she's got a very, very good vision. She's got an artist's vision as a garden. And it's only a small garden, but it's, it's you know, we open um, for a couple of days every year. And, um, you know, I fiddle around. There's always, there are always things to be done. Always uh, things to be done. I really hope I haven't been stitched up here. But I've been told you're a keen cyclist. Uh, my cycling days may be behind me, but I've got a bike out in the shed. I could bring it in here. It's not a penny farthing. But I'd, there's a hill, and if, if we turn right out of the gate here, up to the top of the, top of the, onto the main road, it's about a mile and a quarter climb. I imagine I'm, I'm riding in the eclipse. Uh, over a mile and a quarter in a much slower time. Um, but I used to bike up there every morning. I don't do that so much. And I walk quite a lot. And Tom Lacey used to train up the hill. And I used to pass, when he had really slow horses, I used to pass them on my bike. <laughs> Did, was the bike ever a mode of transport for the races, for work? Don't be ridiculous. No, I mean, I've done, we've had, 
we once went to interview. We did a we did a we, on uh, I think it must have been on that at the races um, interview with Tom Lacey, and I remember being filmed riding my bike up to his yard, which wasn't you know it was only about a mile away. I made that. My next question was going to be, are you a punter? But you've already said that racing without punting isn't really uh, attractive. No. So tell us about your, you know, your punting activities. I, I just think, you know, betting is such a good way to have a, you know, to get a bit of a reward. Obviously, like all things, eating, drinking, smoking, any, any habit can, can, can go wrong. So therefore, you've got to keep a check on things. But I think on its own, there is nothing wrong with betting. I think it's a very healthy pastime and I'd encourage my children to do it they're completely they're not interested in racing whatsoever um, but um, I, they are slightly but I think betting you know betting makes the world go around and I'm the small punter I wouldn't call myself a you know I would definitely be a small punter my old dad used to say you know the old cliche never bet more than you can afford to lose and I have been at that sort of gateway when I've, I remember being at Newbury and I was on the verge with a credit account on the rails and on the verge of losing my month's salary uh, that day. And I thought, this is bad. And then doing a double or quits bet in a novice hurdle. And it was a horse trained by Reg Akehurst, which won by miles. And that got me level on the day. Again, and I thought, sitting on the train going back to London when I lived in London, I thought, this is a very nasty feeling. I don't want to do that again. So I just, I like winning a lot. I like winning a lot for a, li for a little you know, doubles, lucky 15s, place pots have been very kind to me over the years, those sort of things. And that's um, that's interesting about the credit accounts, because I used to have credit accounts. Anybody could get a credit account as long as they had a job, couldn't they? Yeah. You'd get in all sorts of trouble. It, it, yeah. These days you don't have credit accounts anymore, well, pretty much you don't, so. No, that's true. This was on, you just, it was just, you just applied for a credit account. Uh, you were given, I don't know if you even had a number, you just gave your name. Yeah, I, I I remember a few numbers. Three three zero one was uh, my Victor Chandler account. But the um, but these days, I mean, if you can pull it up, which you are, if you're betting on a you know normal account, then you can afford it. Surely, anyway. Yeah. We, 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 so we've touched on that now and again. Haven't yes, we? we have. Um, but betting is a vital. But you know, it, betting is very very important for the for the survival and health of racing, isn't it? I don't want to sound too sort of. Like a political broadcast, but it is. It's vital, and the contribution of bookmakers, and you know, we need racing needs money badly. I mean, prize money is not good, and um, in the current uh, climate, things are very, very serious. And we're going back to your betting, uh, would you be in front? Well, what I hope is, if I ever reach those pearly gates and St Peter greets me, um, and I was hoping that you get a printout. When you get there, and St Peter says well, you're ahead on place pots, but you're—I'm afraid you're lucky 15s. You're way down. But one always feels—I—I've I've kept a record for the last uh, couple of years, um, and I would say I would—I would be definitely place pots. I would be ahead because I've had some—you know—I don't put that much on, and I've had some really good, good divvies. Right, so, is there a secret? You know, what is a formula that you try and do with a place but is there a strategy not really well anyone who reads the um the pools panel column on at the races would probably say he never he never he never gets it right which you go through a long stretch of getting it wrong and occasionally i think the thing is you've got to take a chance i think you can have too many lines i think you've got to if, take a punt on one and you have a banker 
I mean, maybe on a race where you think it's an easy race, you may have one or two. I mean, the odds on favourite might get turned over. You only need one, one or two favourites, you know, hot favourites to be out of the money for a good dividend. OK, now hopefully, now this is a quote I, I did read online, that hopefully you did say, that it's important to know your stuff, but some people take things too seriously. What would, is that something you said? And if so, yeah, what no, I don't that... stand by that. Well, you know, racing is meant to be, it is an entertainment, isn't it? It's meant to be fun. I know there's a serious side to it, like sort of form and things, but some people are a bit, some people would be a bit too earnest about it, really. And I think when they start mentioning, you know, five pounds better off for a three length beating, I think, you know, horses, they're even, even the real top ones, they're pretty inconsistent. They don't, otherwise, you know, all the form figures, time form, the race, racing post ratings would, would get it right every time, and they don't. Okay. Um, previous interviewees do not take offence by. <laughs> there were quite a few people that would disagree there, but um, about the, but it's all about, about opinions in there. About you know, the. Uh, are they saying it is serious? Well, the, when it well, comes, it is to, when it comes I mean, to the of, form. Of course, it's serious. Oh, I see. With the form. Yeah. Oh no, I'd stand by that. Okay. Now. You've, you've talked about you write for the um, Sky Sports Racing website. At the Races website. At the Races yeah. website. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, the, you know, <laughs> you're getting uh, me confused now. But it's, just, it's at Sky Sports Racing, but it's still the At the Races website. Yeah, exactly. Got, you've got you. The, okay. You're quick, Simon. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Not that quick, obviously. Um, and you also write for Racing Ahead magazine. Oh, yeah. Very, very regularly. As you do there. yourself. Yeah, on and off, on and off. But um, so you enjoy writing. Is that something that you know? Where I would you put it? I do enjoy writing. I do enjoy writing. I as a child, when I was when I was uh, when I wasn't betting with my father and watching on television, I had a, a little sort of I made a, a sort of in-house newspaper. I used to write with sort of local stories about you know my parents or my grandmother losing her teeth, which she didn't actually. She always had her teeth, but you know that sort of thing. Um, so I quite enjoyed I quite enjoyed writing. Yeah, I do enjoy it. I find it I find that staring at a blank page I don't like very much because it's awful. You suddenly think I've got to write a thousand words. What the hell am I going to write about? And then some, something comes to you. I mean, there's sort of there's sort of a bit of magic really. But and I used to I used to review um, audio books for the Spectator magazine. I was there um, correspond and I used to review a few books for them as well. So I quite like doing that that wild away the miles when you were driving to the races listening to the books i listen yeah exactly i do um now apart from the famous ones we've talked about any particular interviews that stick in your mind over the years um any particular interviews well obviously as i'm thinking very hard um maybe not i must say talking to barney curley was quite an interesting um and talking to i remember first time i ever met henry cecil because well, he was very much sort of a figure of, you know, to take seriously. I know as going back on racing being fun, but you know you've got these characters. But he was a very sort of um, charismatic character. And I remember meeting him at Yarmouth, and very when I was working for the Racing Channel, and creeping up behind him and saying, you know, excuse me. And he was just so obliging. It was a, and you suddenly feel a real. I don't know. You just feel. It makes you feel really good when they actually they're friendly and they give you a good interview. It's great. Okay, then one of your claims to fame, Anton Deck and Comic Relief. Yeah, I forgot, I forgot all about Tell that. Tell us all about yeah. that because I didn't know about it. I didn't see this. 
Well, I mean, it wasn't my planning. I just happened to be doing uh, racing news on, on at the races at the time in Corsham Street in the little basement. They called it a shoebox. And they were doing a charity thing, um, going around various broadcasting places in London. Uh, I think they said they, would, they took a bit of furniture. That was their, they didn't take it, but that was their thing. And I was doing, I knew, I had a feeling they were going to come in and I was just doing my ordinary, you know, nonsense to camera. And suddenly Anton Deck came in and sat at the, you know, the console panel thing, talking to them. That was great. They were so easy because they're just so good at their job and they were just, you know, they just made it, made it seem, you know, it was fun. Yeah, they have been, they have been spotted at the races a few times, haven't they? Just on leisure activities, I've seen them around at Sandown and places like that. I remember seeing them at Ascot shortly afterwards and I went up with a microphone and I was told by, I think someone who was sort of someone very serious lady saying, no, 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 you can't possibly talk to them without her. I said, but I've only spoken to them a week ago, but I wasn't allowed to talk. I, mean, I spoke to them off camera and they were very friendly. But um, I don't know how keen they are on racing, but it's quite good. I think they, you know, it can only be good for the game, can't it really? Absolutely. Did the prospect of wider TV work ever cross your mind? Did you ever sort of think, oh, I could expand a bit and not just stick to racing I, and sport? Um, no, well, no, I mean, I'd love, I'd love to have done other things. I mean, I'd love to have done, yeah, I would have liked to have done that, but it's probably a bit late in my day. Unless they have, there's a new fantastic um, sort of over-90s channel, which might start, which would be quite good, wouldn't it? Well, everyone's living longer. So if anyone is starting a, an over-90s channel, or even over 80s when it when it when the day comes, I would be very interested in in um, in being the sort of a Mark, Michael Parkinson figure because I think talking to people is always very interesting. Now, you've obviously looked at my questions. Is a penultimate question was: Are the pipe and slippers on the horizon? But obviously not. Well, they're on the horizon definitely, but I keep on thinking I'll just give it another year, you know. But it, uh, I suppose I ought to jump before I'm pushed, really. So we'll we'll have to wait and see. But at the moment, I think I, I think I'm I'm still reasonably you know sane and can do a reasonably good job. Because I think you need all sorts on on television. Not only you know there's a lot of good young talent coming through, very good. But I think you need a few old old um, sea dogs on the channel, don't you? Absolutely. And finally, I hope she won't mind. But Mrs. Knott was quite surprised that you aren't actually Sir Bob. So where did that come from, Sir Bob? That was Ian Bartlett started that. I think just completely by chance he used to say, good morning, Sir Robert, or something like that. It did start as Sir Robert. And then it just caught on. It's amazing. I got a letter from, um, I got a, letter from a trainer addressed to Sir Robert Cooper, which is fantastic. I've got, I've got the envelope somewhere. But some people, some people um, you know, think it's real. But it's not going to happen. So, you know, I'm very flattered. Well, the king's got a few horses. You never know. No, but the Queen had a lot of horses and she did know. <laughs> OK, on that note, Sir Bob Cooper, thank you very much. Thank you, Simon. I've really enjoyed it. Me too. Thank you.